This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Daily Digest on the Bigger Picture. I'm Hezrel Ashraf alongside Juliet Jacobs and Dashran Johan. And today we're talking about how important it is for policymakers to understand people's psyche when it comes to encouraging them to follow COVID-19 SOPs. And recently, of course, there's been a huge spike in COVID-19 cases uh, this past month with more than 5,000 new daily cases over three consecutive days alone this past weekend. But there's also been a lot of public burnout when it comes to observing COVID-19 SOPs, uh, what experts have termed pandemic fatigue. And at the same time, some of those SOPs haven't uh, exactly been consistent. So we're diving into how policymakers might be able to better approach these SOPs by understanding uh, people's psyche, right? What might better encourage them to adhere to restrictions and not feel so burnt out. That's right. So if you'd like to share your thoughts on this topic, uh, on this topic, you can tweet us at BFM Radio. You can also WhatsApp in 018-789-8899. So I don't know about you guys, but I've been definitely, you know, worried about the surge in cases recently, even though we are technically under an MCO and we are reminded on a daily basis to follow the SOPs, the number of COVID-19 cases don't seem to be going down as much as we'd like them to. As of yesterday, there have been, there are 48,074 active cases Mm -hmm. and the number of people in ICU has increased as well with 316 patients being treated in intensive care and 137 requiring breathing assistance. I mean, just over the weekend, we saw a staggering record of 5,728 new cases in one day, which is just scary. Yeah, Yeah. I was terrified that uh, when I heard that. And unfortunately, just as the public has been asked to keep their guard up and continue observing SOPs to curb all these new infections, medical experts, including our health DG Tan Sri Dr. Nohisham Abdullah, have admitted that many people are just experiencing pandemic fatigue. Mm. Um, you know, essentially people are burnt out. They're feeling mentally exhausted from following all the SOPs and rules, you know, that have been outlined by the government. And it's a combination of several factors, of course. And um, an associate professor, Dr. Mohammad Ratniwan A. Rashid, uh, who is the specialist clinic medical clinic medical director at University Science Islam Malaysia? He told Bernama that people have gone through so many phases of the MCO, and we can all relate to that, <laughs> and have experienced a sense of normalcy last year when the SOPs were relaxed, and you know that they want that sense of normalcy to last. Mm. Um, and as he said, and I'm quoting him here, people grew tired as there seemed to be no end to the pandemic. Yeah, he also added that uh, some people, and I quote, are feeling overwhelmed with still having to maintain a state of constant vigilance and that to be reminded uh, to observe physical distancing, wear a mask and so forth is wearisome. Uh, Some are getting bored of staying home for so long, although certain rules have been relaxed as they are now allowed to carry on with their leisure activities, business and others, these privileges are being abused. And let's not forget our frontliners, right? The kind of burnout that they're facing as well. A doctor uh, who wrote an article anonymously in the Star, he wrote in bold letters and I quote, we are tired, exhausted, annoyed, and he has gone way past the breaking point. Mm. So this doctor wrote that many of them, uh, the frontliners, can't go back to their hometowns to see their families, that some facilities 
cities are being overcrowded and there's not enough manpower considering the surge in the number of new daily cases. And in terms of manpower, at least, the health ministry has acknowledged the need to hire more health workers. In fact, they've applied to hire an additional 1,899 at the end of last year. And so now all of this is according to the health minister, Dato Sri Dr. Adam Baba. Yeah, I mean, it's really sad to read about it. Mm. But, you know, just going back to the pandemic fatigue uh, among the public, though, I also wonder if there are other factors besides what health experts have said. You know, if you think about some of the SOPs, there have been a lot of inconsist- inconsistencies in the past, you know, and some of this, um, shall we call it flip-flopping, <laughs> um, has happened despite the fact that policymakers, you know, we've had months. I mean, they've had months to learn from their experiences in facing this pandemic. So take one SOP implemented last year um, that was regarding the the number of people limited to a car during the first CMCO back in May. Mm. So first it was two people to a car and then it was bumped up to four and eventually to however many people <laughs> a vehicle could fit, yeah. right? And I remember hearing people ask what the point of the limit was in the first place for families especially who have been sharing the same space uh, and breathing the same <laughs> air basically, yeah. right? And this was the same for restaurants too at one point in time uh, when they were required to limit dine-ins to two people per table even say if a family of three or four wanted to eat at a restaurant or a food stall. Yeah, I definitely remember that. Uh, and, and recently, despite the fact that we're under uh, a full you know, MCO 2.0 and not a, a CMCO, mentally, I, I personally sort of feel like there is no MCO. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I've seen a lot of cars on the road, people walking and jogging outside, uh, sometimes in, in crowds. And, and I've seen people on social media asking, you know, whether certain SOPs are uh, might be encouraging people to travel. Uh, for instance, right, there's been a lack of roadblocks to enforce movement restrictions in certain areas. And um, people have also asked about, uh, you know, whether the 10 kilometer radius for people to, to travel to get things like groceries, you know, are logical, right? Especially considering that many stores are perhaps much closer uh, to people than, uh, you know, 10 kilometers, you know, with the exception perhaps for uh important facilities like hospitals for people, uh, you know, to get treated for for, uh, illnesses. Right. And I'm also curious to understand if, you know, if all of these instances have over time contributed to the burnout that we're feeling, is there a psychological disconnect that people feel when certain rules don't make sense or when when we see policymakers make U-turns or consistently amend policy several times, in some cases over a period of just a week, right? So how can policymakers understand people's attitudes and perceptions when outlining SOPs and how can they, you know, encourage people to follow them and not feel burnt out right. Is this this even possible? Yeah, well, I read an interesting article, actually, and this was about a politician who has been getting it right in Mm. terms of their approach to getting people to observe COVID-19 SOP. So The Atlantic wrote an article about New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern saying that she, and I'm quoting here, may be the most effective leader on the planet um, in tackling the Mm. pandemic. And this is, of course, in the context of how New Zealand has managed to flatten the curve with no travel restrictions domestically since October of last year. And at one point last year, they went 
for 100 consecutive days with zero community cases. Um, in Auckland last year, the Prime Minister, um, Prime Minister Arden even allowed unrestricted gatherings and people didn't even have to wear masks on public transport or even physically distance. Oh, I, I can't imagine that. Yeah. I don't know. What a different world it was. <laughs> yeah, and the article also you know, attributes her successful approach to get people to adhere to SOPs to empathy. So former New Zealand Prime Minister Helen Clark told The Atlantic that Prime Minister Arden and I quote, doesn't preach at people. Um, she's standing with them and they may even think, well, I don't quite understand why the government did that, but I know that she's got our back. There's a high level of trust and confidence in her because of that empathy. Yeah, and the article also mentioned how she relates to people uh, like other parents, you know, using her own experience as a mother. Um, they they mentioned how she'd say that she knows as a parent, for instance, that it's really hard to avoid playgrounds at one point in time, but the virus can live on surfaces for 72 hours, which is why she asked uh, parents to keep their kids at home. And the article also said that her messages have been uh, quote-unquote uh, clear, consistent, and somehow simultaneously sobering uh, and smoothing. Uh, sorry, soothing. <laughs> um, and But, you know, I, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what about you guys? You know, um, here in Malaysia, has the government's approach to SOPs affected you psychologically or mentally? You know, has it, uh, you know, made you feel burnt out at all? Well, <laughs> I, I don't know if burnt out is the right word I would use to how I'm feeling. I think the, 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 the inconsistencies when it comes to SOPs and things like that have just made me desensitized to the whole thing. You know, mm-hmm. like, for example, and I think we, we observed that, you know, just anecdotally speaking, for example, last year, March, when our cases were much lower, like people were really, you know, following the SOPs. Everyone was like fe- in like yeah. constant state of fear. Mm. You know, like we, we go to the restaurant, even if it's very quickly, <laughs> people bring sanitizers in yeah. their pockets yeah. and things like that. But now, as you mentioned earlier, you know, people are in you know, crowded places and, and, you know, they are just going for jogging and all that. And, and I think a lot of it feel it, it feels... Like, I, I don't know, it becomes very difficult to process all this information because of the inconsistencies in the SOPs. And I have reached a point where I'm like, I don't know, uh, I guess I would just, just I, I don't even look at the numbers on the daily mm. anymore. Yeah, it becomes just too difficult to keep up with everything. Yeah, mm. I guess for me, also not burnt out, but you know, some of their approaches, uh, for me, I mean, the one that particularly affected me was um, uh, my, my daughter's school was allowed to reopen. She's, she's oh, only, right. um, she, well, she's five going on six, right? And so for me, it was strange that you're closing all these places but you're letting schools um, continue to, mm. to operate and of course I understand there's also the fact that uh, parents need to go to work so they need to send their kids somewhere but I don't know if that's really going to help you know lower the infection rates as such you know why mm. are schools being allowed to, to especially kindergartners you know they yeah. don't really I don't know how they would operate or function in, in this kind of situations yeah. with such high uh, cases. So for me, that, that inconsistency of, you know, let's say we don't, we're not letting parliament sit, but we're letting kindergartners go to school. You know, mm. I, I don't yeah. see the logic in those sorts of SOPs. Yes, yeah. uh, for, for me, I think it's like a, I've got a sense of cognitive dissonance. So um, I, I, I still, you know, uh, observe the SOPs as much as I can. I mean, I, I sanitize my hands frequently. I always wear my mask, uh, you know, outdoors, except, you know, if I'm going jogging. But I think I'm, uh, I, I, I think what's stressing me out mentally is just seeing, um, you know, just seeing so many cars on the road. And, and even though people can't dine in, you know, seeing people uh, not, not, 
physically distant, if they're mm-hmm. lining up mm-hmm. to take away food, yeah. uh, right? People sort of just, um, you know, it just it just feels like people are taking it easy and to an extent uh, have given up, uh, I think, in terms of, you know, because they're seeing all these SOPs being reminded to us, right, on a daily basis. Yet, you know, uh, over the weekend, there were 5,000 cases. So I think um, people are having like a, a really hard time. You know, I'm having a hard time trying to uh, understand how this will benefit us in the long term, right? Mm-hmm, it's, yeah. um, I, I just wonder if there are any um, other approaches that, that the government uh, needs to do because uh, like like Dash said, like, you know, I'm feeling I'm feeling desensitized and uh, when, when I'm being told to wear my mask I mean, even though I do them, I can imagine for other people, um, they, they may not care as much. So I'd, Yeah, that's exactly what I've been mm. observing. People are wearing their masks underneath their nose and if they see the cops, then they pull yeah. it out quickly. Yeah. So they're like, okay, I know all these loopholes that I can, mm. I can get away with, right? So they've become desensitized. They don't seem to care and they're just walking around. Yeah, they seem to, yeah, desensitized, I guess that's the mm-hmm. word. Yeah, and it's, it's, yeah, just despite, you know, you'd think that the number of cases would scare people, you know, like Dash said, the yeah. first MCO, but we were terrified. Yeah, and he cases. was just in like hundreds, you know, sometimes yeah. less. Than, even then when he was like double digit and all people would really look mm. at the numbers every day. We would be in fear. We would celebrate <laughs> the big, you know, the small yeah, victories. That day, and, when, <laughs> that day when the health DG uh, said, was it one one case? I think there was yeah. one day where he showed up that sign yeah. and everyone was so happy. But, you know, it just seems like like a different world. Um, but uh, we've got to take a quick break. But after this, we, we will be speaking with clinical psychologist Shalene Krasan about how policymakers can understand people's psyche to encourage them to continue uh, following COVID-19 SOPs. Stay tuned on the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture. I'm Hezra Lashraf alongside Juliet Jacobs and Dashran Johan. And today we're talking about how important it is for policymakers to understand people's psyche when it comes to encouraging them to follow COVID-19 SOPs. That's right. And before the break, we talked about some reasons people may feel a bit burnt out, you know, from observing rules and restrictions to curb COVID-19 transmissions, also known as pandemic fatigue. Uh, among them, the inconsistencies in some of the SOPs and the amount of time we've actually spent in all these various MCOs since March last year. And now to explore how policymakers can understand people's attitudes and mentality when it comes to SOPs to encourage them to stay vigilant. We've got on the line clinical psychologist Shalene Chrisan. Uh, uh, good to have you on the show with us, Shalene. Let's take a step back. There's been a lot of conversation surrounding uh, pandemic fatigue and the reasons behind it. What's your take on it? Why do you think people tire from following COVID-19 SOPs from a psychological point of view? Okay, um, so before we look at why people are tired from the SOPs, uh, we first have to look at why people are exhausted from the pandemic itself. Okay, people now are going through mass unemployment and economic uncertainty. People are dealing with the trauma of witnessing deaths and falling ill or even the fear of falling ill. So all these things are very stressful to begin with, and it's not a common kind of stress that we expect to go through in our lives, right? So if we imagine that we had a jar that's filled with all of our resources, so physical resource, mental resource, emotional resource, these things helps us to survive life. So when we experience something in our life, some of these resources gets drained out in this jar, okay? 
So when the pandemic hit, right, and the stress increases way more than what we expected, uh, we use up way more resources than we actually should. So if you imagine this jar, the stress from the pandemic probably takes up about half of the resource in this jar. So we only have about half left to stay afloat. And this is very, very exhausting. And to add on to this already exhausting situation are the SOPs, which are very stressful by itself with its own set of problems, right? Like the inconsistent implementations, the inadequate information, all this stuff. So these things would then take up more resource and therefore make you feel more tired than you should be. So once the demands of um, the situation exceeds our coping resources, chronic psychological stress comes up. And that, of course, leads to burnout. So that's why people are generally more tired to follow the SOPs that are given. Right. But uh, do you think that this burnout is somewhat, you know, part of human nature in general and is inevitable or is it preventable? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I personally don't think burnout is a part of human nature. It is something that can happen under certain circumstances, but it is not something that will happen to everyone because it really depends on the circumstance that you're in and the situation and the environment that you're in. So it is definitely preventable if the situation allows us to not use up all of our resources that leaves us tired and drained. Um, we can expect a certain level of burnout from, you know, the pandemic, right? And, and that can actually be a normal thing. But there's a lot of things that can mediate this uh, level of burnout, such as, you know, having proper impl uh, policies implemented, but the healthcare, but the support, all those sort of things. So the point here is to constantly fill the jar back up, right? Uh, once the resources are being used up, we still fill it back up. So we don't get to a point of burnout, which is possible. And, you know, we've seen an inconsistent approach by our policymakers when it comes to implementing restrictions and clear SOPs. So, for instance, at one point last year, the government confused people when they allowed gyms to open, but not parks. What kind of psychological impact does this have on people and how does it affect their compliance with SOPs? Okay, well, human beings, right, we're, we like to keep things simple when we understand things. That's why we like to make sense of our world and try to organize them by the way we made sense of it. So when you try to understand the SOPs, we would generally try to make sense of why the SOPs are in place. So for an example, the rationale behind closing public spaces is so that we can reduce the rate of transmission of the virus. That makes sense. Using this rationale, it does not make sense as to why parks are closed, but gyms are open since they're both public spaces and transmissions can happen very easily. So this confusion, right, would lead to something that we call in the psychology world, um, cognitive dissonance. And cognitive dissonance is a phenomenon that happens when we have conflicting ideas, beliefs, or values. And these conflicting uh, uh, beliefs would cause psychological distress. So when we experience cognitive dissonance, we use up more resources. And of course, like I mentioned just now, it makes us more tired. And as human beings, we love to problem solve. So one way we combat dissonance is to rationalize it ourselves. So not only are we tired and we don't care anymore, 
we would rationalize things and make our own decisions as to how to go on with complying the SOPs, which of course may not be the most effective. All right, so what can policymakers do to encourage people to comply with COVID-19 SOPs? I mean, what sort of techniques can they employ, especially at this point in time where many people already feel burnt out? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, so the, the aim here is to reduce the cognitive dissonance that we talked about when it comes to making people comply with the SOPs. Because understanding... Um, the reason why it's difficult to, for people to comply is the way to solve the, 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 the problem itself and to make them comply with it. So what policymakers can do is to come up with a set of consistent and practical SOPs that, first of all, make sense. Um, they need to explain why certain SOPs are in place. So we can rationalize it with ourselves and say, you know what, yeah, it makes sense why I should, I should be wearing a mask. So... I would generally believe in it and I would wear it without, you know, being forced to do it. Um, also, another thing they should do is to make the SOPs easily accessible by everyone. So doing that would not make people, you know, be left wondering. Um, when, you, when you leave people to wonder, that's when confusion starts to build and that's when dissonance can start to happen. Um, the next thing that they can do is to make the implementation of the SOPs consistent. So right now, what is being said by the policymakers and what is being done in real life are two very different things. And people are realizing that, right? They say, do this, and then you go out and you know you can do a whole different set of things. So this, of course, creates dissonance again, and consistency here clearly is very, very important. But with all that being said, right, it is even more important that these policymakers uh, tackle the reasons that are causing people to feel burnt out, such as the factors that are affecting people's welfares and livelihoods. So if we can reduce the burnout, people can have more resource to pay attention and comply with the SOPs. Right, but don't you think this approach is harder to implement considering the extent of burnout people are already feeling? Yeah, I do think it would be harder to implement it at this point because um, people are feeling burnt out and the reason why they are burnt out are not being addressed, which is why um, you know this whole talk about understanding the psyche of the people is important. Um, to remedy the problem is to address the problem. And right now, we're not just addressing, we're not looking at the wound, we're just putting band-aids after band-aids on the wound, but we're not addressing it. So policymakers really need to understand um, the psychology behind why people are giving up and why do they not um, have the motivation to carry on with complying with SOPs instead of giving more SOPs because that just seems really ineffective at this point. Right, and the government has also employed harsh penalties as a means of discouraging people from uh, violating SOPs. They've deployed roadblocks manned by the police and armed soldiers to restrict movement. And uh, the government is even considering increasing the current 1,000 ringgit fine for SOP violators. Uh, How effective is it to dissuade someone from doing something versus encouraging them to adopt a certain behavior? Yeah. Well, um, to understand this, we really need to understand the psychology of how we learn behaviors. Um, I mean, like you said, there's a lot of debates happening, right? And there are many researchers that, that prove the theory for, you know, um, making someone, punishing someone and rewarding someone for a certain behavior. But 
from my opinion, you know, numerous research has backed up the theory that encouraging people to learn or maintain behaviors through positive reinforcement is more effective and long lasting. So discouraging behaviors through punishment, which is what seems to be the norm, doesn't work so well in the long run because it works on fear. So it may work well in the moment. You know, it may, people may comply within that one month or two months or so, but it does not work well, um, it will not last really long, okay? Um, also, using punishments can increase stress levels that would contribute to the burnout we were already talking about, which, you know, of course, impacts the ability for people to comply with the SOPs. So it's like a vicious cycle. And as we have seen ourselves, even with the fines implemented, people are still violating the SOPs, which means that it doesn't really work. And if someone keeps doing something, even though it has been discouraged multiple times, I think it's worth to look at why that person is still doing it. Um, I think that the government should take a different approach if they want to understand um, and encourage the people to change their behaviors, which could involve some level of positive reinforcement instead of punishment. And just speaking of behavior, some government figures have been perceived to practice double standards when it comes to observing restrictions. Do you think that, um, psychologically speaking, people rely on cues from people in power when it comes to modeling such um, social behaviors? Oh, definitely. Um, one major way we learn is uh, we learn behaviors is through modeling. It is the um, indirect way we learn behaviors. Uh, and we see this all the time, right? We see children modeling after their parents uh, in the things that they do or speak. And that's a very natural phenomenon. We always tend to model people who are in positions of authority, especially when we do not know how to act or think in a specific situation. So when government figures who are people in positions of authority act differently than what is expected, the people follow suit. Also, when we talk about double standards, if we imagine our parents, right, telling us not to lie, and then they lie, we would feel obviously frustrated, and we might experience some level of cognitive dissonance, which, you know, as a, a way to combat that, you will rationalize it and probably say, you know, I don't care, I'll just lie, like, they can do it, why can't I, that sort of rationalization. And we would come up with our own rule. So it's a similar thing here. When there is a double standard in complying with the SOPs, People get frustrated and then they would not comply to the SOPs altogether. So the Atlantic called New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern the world's most effective leader when it comes to tackling the, pand the pandemic. They cited her use of empathy and how she stands with people rather than preach at them. How far can empathy go in getting people to comply and how can it be used effectively? Um, so this comes down to the definition of what empathy is, right? And the difference between empathy and sympathy. So sympathy is like, you know, you're standing somewhere really far from someone else and you're shouting at them like, hey, I'm sorry for your loss and, and saying, yeah, I feel for you, but you don't really feel for them. And empathy, on the other hand, is you going up to that person and saying, hey, I'm really sorry what happened to you. Tell me what's going on. Tell me what you feel. Tell me your pain. Let me sit here with the pain with you and that builds relationship and trust, right? So that's exactly what Jacinda does. Um, she goes down to be with the people and she empathizes with them. She sends out 
you know, um, a clear message that she hears them and does something about it consistently all the time. So she puts it out there that she's genuinely thinking about the well-being of her people. And this empathy that she's clearly um, communicated to people, it does build trust and connection on the people and the government. So when there is trust in your government to help take care of you, there's a much higher chance of you to comply with what they ask you to do, even if it doesn't entirely make sense to you or if you don't agree to it so much, okay? Um, because you, you have that sense of security in the people that are in the positions of authority uh, to make the decisions that you know is in your benefit. So leading with empathy, honestly, is a necessary way to approach governing, especially at a time like this, which is so stressful and difficult. One way that people really want to understand is that the government officials understand what it's like to be in PR position. And I feel like that's what's lacking here right now as well. And I've also read um, in an op-ed by economist Dr. Emily Oster that one approach is that governments should assume that people aren't going to listen in the first place. So she refers to her studies, which found that most people don't change their diets despite having diabetes. So as a solution, she encourages governments to invest in the necessary healthcare infrastructures and not heavily rely on restrictions. What do you think of this approach? You know, is it something that should be considered, especially as we've seen how the number of cases have remained high despite the MCO? Um, well, I think that if the government has taken into account the people's psyches when it comes to dealing with the pandemic, which is something they should have already prepared for, they would understand that a certain level of burnout is expected and compliance may not be so successful, especially in the long run. Um, tons of research and theories can predict all of these behaviours and you know, using people's compliance as a first-line defense against the pandemic should not be the way to go. Um, as we can see, even if people are complying to the SOPs, the numbers are still increasing. So I think it's about time that the government consider looking at alternative solutions, such as, as you mentioned, um, investing in necessary healthcare infrastructures, or in my opinion, um, revamping the advisory board to include more professionals such as legal professionals, medical professionals, psychologists, that are not just government officials, um, advice on different approaches on how to move on from here. So understanding the situation from a different point of view instead of relying on the people all that much. Because if we had these professionals' opinions in the, uh, in the picture, we could have avoided all of this and we could have um, anticipated the people burning out at some point. So I think we definitely need a new approach. And I do agree uh, about the, what the doctor's economist said, because people are burned out and restrictions just aren't effective anymore because they don't trust in the government making decisions for them. So it's, it's really more about the lack of effectiveness of these measures and um, I think it's only natural and, and human for us to find alternatives that work, which is why um, I suggested that instead of looking at the people so much, we got to find alternatives. 
All right, Shalene, uh, thank you so much for joining us today and weighing in. That was clinical psychologist uh, Shalene Chrisan speaking to us about how uh, policymakers can better understand people's psyche when it comes to pandemic fatigue and, and in turn ways they can encourage people to stay vigilant and continue to observe the SOPs. That's right. And I like how Shalene imagined us to picture our mental energy and resources as a jar and how she related it to how policymakers can better understand people's state of mind and whether they have the energy to cope with important things such as SOPs. Yeah. And I also think that empathy is such a crucial tool for leaders to relate with people, right? And of course, to be consistent in their messaging. Yeah, for sure. And and that pretty much uh, wraps up our story. Uh, But following on from that point, Uh, you know, 2021 is proving to be more uncertain than ever with the announcement of the MCO and a declaration of emergency. So if you're feeling lost about where Malaysia is headed this year, well, there's a conference uh, just for you for its 11th birthday ideas. The Institute for Democracy and Economic Affairs is hosting a three-day online conference that looks at Malaysia from three perspectives, uh, the economy, society, and politics. You can catch the Malaysia Outlook Conference 2021 starting from the 2nd to the 4th of February from 10 a.m. each day. Uh, You can register for the conference at ideas.org.my or watch it live on their Facebook page. You can just uh, search for Ideas uh, Malaysia. Now, after the 3 p.m. news on Live and Learn, I'll be sticking around to speak with uh, two AMNO youth leaders, Iqmal Hazlan, Iqmal Hisham, and Shakib Sheryl Nizam, uh, about calls from their wing for AMNO to rejuvenate uh, itself and change and to chart a new course for its future. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today's show. Uh, you can look us up on the Facebook page called BFM The Bigger Picture to drop us a message. And if you've missed any part of the show, you can download our podcast at bfm.my forward slash daily digest or the BFM app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or pretty much wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Hezra Ashraf alongside Juliet Jacobs and Dashran Johan. And this has been the Daily Digest on the Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.